Hello, friends and family and listeners to the new podcast called Go Entrepreneur Yourself, where we bring your local entrepreneurs and leaders from across the country to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. My name is Jonathan Yamasaki, your host, and as for my other hosts, uh, they're actually out of town. So this is my first time I'm doing a podcast on my own, so uh, bear with me, everyone. I'm excited for today's episode. Um, Not many people think of comedians um, as entrepreneurs, but they go through a lot in building their public image, their website, social media. Our comedic entrepreneur for today makes uh, a different spin on comedy, and you may have heard of him from your local high school or college. Uh, he's one of the top Latino comedians in the country. He has been seen by millions on TV shows such as Comedy Central's Make Me Laugh, BET's Comic View, and is the original star of the hit, hit comedy show Que Locos, hosted by George Lopez. A graduate of Loyola Marymount University, he's performed, again, at hundreds and thousands of colleges and universities across the nation to spread his message of transformation through laughter as the empowerment comedian, Ernie G. What's up? (laughs) Ernie. Yeah, baby. You're doing it by yourself, bro. Look at you moving all up in the world. So proud of you, bro. I appreciate it, man. I really do. (laughs) So do you want to tell everybody how we first met, bro? Is that is that are we gonna start there? Yeah, we can start there. It's <laughs> wherever we want to take it. Awesome, so, I love it. Yeah, we originally we met when I was in high school, my sophomore year, and I was in a college uh, summer program with the Hispanic College Fund, mm-hmm. and that's where I met you. And I remember you were the host of the of the whole event. You were going through the workshop with us, which I thought was really strange because this famous guy just walking around hanging out with us like. Like us people, <laughs> so for me, I was like, Man, "This guy's the real deal. He's he's a uh, he's really come. He comes from the same sort of background." And for me to see a successful brown person like myself, it really inspired me to want to do the things that I wanted to accomplish, which was eventually work in nonprofits, start my own business in the future to help students like yourself. And I I was always into motivational speaking when I was young, so that's something that I really loved watching you. You were hilarious, and after that. We actually really didn't kind of, like talk much up until my college years, because mm-hmm. I know I tried bringing it to my high school, but that didn't work out. <laughs> so then, when I went through college, I helped start up a, a, a fraternity there, and then that's where I talked to you, and I was like, "Hey, Ernie, come out to my college to perform <laughs> to our first generation students." Yeah. Um, and ever since then, we just hung out a lot. Yeah, brother. Yeah, man, it's cool. The Hispanic College Fund had the Hispanic Youth Symposium at Arizona State University where we took like uh, 100, 150 high school students and uh, really inspired them. And I remember, you know, they hired me to come and do the keynote address. And they really just thought I was just going to perform and then take off, like fly in, you know, have a limo pick me up, come perform and then leave. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to hang out with these students, man. I love these guys. It's, and to me, you guys weren't students. You guys were like my nieces and my nephews, my sobrinas and some sobrinos. And, and that's one thing about entrepreneurship, bro. It, it's like you can look at it as a, as a job or you can look at it as a, an extension of your life. And so me right. just coming in and performing and then leaving didn't feel right to me. So hanging out with you guys, having lunch with you guys. And then what ended up happening is I ended up doing way more than just performing. I, I started doing leading the leadership development workshops and, and just spending a lot more time with you guys. And that's really where we got to bond. I, I know we have a picture from when we first met way back in the day. We were both about 50 pounds lighter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, we just stayed in touch. That's the power and magic of social media is that we stayed in touch all these years. And then when you brought me to NAU, man, that was awesome because you 
are the ones that kind of you, you're the one that took it on and and started that fraternity and really you know took it to the next level and, and I think you were the president or at least uh, on the e-board and so when I came and met all of your friends at NAU bro that was amazing man because I was like look at little Jonathan go from the little high school mocoso that he used to be <laughs> and now he's a big leader on campus man so that was fun brother yeah I appreciate that so before we get starting into started in, into the talk about entrepreneurship yeah. and leadership. I want to do something with you called the Fast Five. We do this with all our guests. Yep. Um, so it's just like quick quick questions to ask you and you just respond in short answers. Cool. Um, so And it's just it's just for fun. Sweet. So if you can steal any comedian's line and call it yours, what, what line would that be? Oh, I've already done that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a, and the reason I've done it is because this kid's no longer doing comedy anymore. Uh, but, uh, one of my favorite lines, uh, was this kid, uh, dude, I don't even remember his name to be honest with you. He was like an up, open, opening comic. And he said, um, he said, uh, you know, uh, he said, uh, a, cho- a cholo is what most people refer to as a Mexican or Salvadoran gang member. It's what Mexicans and, and Salvadorans refer to as family members. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's a good one, bro. And then he also said, because he was part Puerto Rican, uh, Tony, what was his name? Tony Gonzalez or Tony something. He lived in Orange County. And there's hardly any Puerto Ricans in Orange County. There's almost no Puerto Ricans in Orange County. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, man, I grew up in a small Puerto Rican part of Orange County called my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> and so those guys, the only reason I feel comfortable taking that joke is because those guys are that guy's not doing comedy anymore because <laughs> in comedy it's like it, it, it's 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 the worst thing to do to take some because it's you know it's intellectual property man people come mm-hmm. up with this stuff and and there's a lot of comics that steal other people's stuff people have stole my stolen my stuff and i'm like hey what's going on with that but yeah so all right, all right great next question what is your favorite song right now oh my favorite song bro it always it, my favorite song is always whatever musical I'm listening to, whether it be Rent, whether it be Wicked. And, of course, I turned Jonathan Yamasaki onto the magic of Hamilton, yes. man. And uh, <laughs> a year ago, he had no idea what Hamilton was. And then I played a couple videos for him. And now he's like, he memorized, what how, what, how does a bastard, orphan, son of the whole Brenda the Scotsman. I love uh, Alexander Hamilton. Song. We yeah. used to, like. Pull it on full blast, driving the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just singing along. But honestly, my favorite song from the musical Hamilton is I Am Not Throwing Away My Shot. Hey, yo, yeah. I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot. That's my favorite song for yeah. that soundtrack. <laughs> and then you got to see that musical, didn't you? Oh, bro. So one of the things that I teach all over the country is, is the power of positive attitude and, and the power of the law of attraction that if you really put positive vibes out there, the universe will conspire to support you. And I said, I'm gonna go see Hamilton. I'm not gonna spend 1,500 bucks, 2,000 bucks. All my friends were buying tickets for 1,500, 2,000. I said, I'm just gonna go and see what's up. And all my friends are like, dude, it's been sold out for months. There's no way you're gonna go and see it. I go, trust me, dude, I'm gonna put positive energy out there. I drove to the Pantages Theater on a random like Tuesday or Wednesday night. I said, is there any seats available? Just one, all I need is one, man. I went by myself. And the guy looked at me like, are you crazy, dude? This thing's been sold out for months. And I go, there isn't one, just a nosebleed up in the back. And as I'm asking, some manager steps over that guy's uh, shoulder and says, how many tickets did you need? And I said, you have seats for tonight? He goes, yeah, the producers aren't coming today, so I have two seats. And I said, where are they? He's all the producer seats, third row center. Oh, my god! I said, I'll take them. How much are they? And he goes, we'll sell them to you face value. 
a hundred and ninety dollars each. A great deal. And dude, I bought them both. I've first of all, I've never spent four hundred bucks on two tickets. But right. given that everyone was spending thousands, I was like, this it's is a, a deal. deal. So I swiped my credit card. I bought two <laughs> tickets, and then I actually had the thought, I could put this on on on, right. on Craigslist, <laughs> and I could sell money. these right now and make some money. I said, heck no, lifetime opportunity. I called my old friend, Be- my my friend Beatrice that you've met, mm-hmm. and when she drove and we watched Hamilton in the producer's seats, third row center. So, and then what is your favorite type of food? Oh, man. That's, see, that's tough. My favorite food is my tia Licha's food. My tia, my mom's uh, older sister, my tia Licha. She makes homemade, you know, enchiladas de pollo, carne en su jugo, any soup that she makes. She makes birria. She makes pozole. She makes menudo. So my tia Licha is my favorite food on the planet. But... If I was, you know how they say if you were on your on your deathbed and you were about to die, like what was your last meal? I like a good old traditional Thanksgiving dinner with turkey and oh, yeah. mashed potatoes and stuffing and gravy and cranberry sauce. That's that's my it. my second favorite. Yeah, that's good. Now, if you were the president of the United States, yes, who would be your vice president? Ooh, my vice president, Barack Obama. <laughs> if he can, if he can run for, I don't know, I don't know if once you've been a president, if you can be a he vice, can president. Be vice president, he can. Yeah, he can. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Everyone tried to like petition to get him to. Yeah. Be, uh, no, I love Barack Obama. I think, I think, his true genius won't really be appreciated or understood for another hundred years. You know, by the right. time you know we're gone, they're going to look back at how much he did for this country and how much resistance he had to deal with and put up with. Every time that dude opened his mouth, half the country was like, oh, we hate that guy. He's the black president. We don't want to listen to anything he has to say. And he dealt, he dealt with unprecedented resistance and still managed to be brilliant and amazing. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife, bro, they're, they're role models to all of us. Yeah. I love Michelle Obama, too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that for the Fast Five. Um, not not as fast as you thought that we were going to be. Nah, uh, Ernie, G, okay. Ernie G talks way too much. <laughs> no, we're no. we're going to have to edit this stuff down. <laughs> that, was, no, that was great. That was perfect. We're keeping it. Um, so tell us about your story, Ernie. I know I've heard it many Ooh. times, but for our audiences, tell them how you got started in comedy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the real, I, I don't know if you've even heard this part, but my uncle, uh, when my family came over from Mexico, my mom was nine years old, and my grandma used to make my her 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 kids make piñatas on the street. They would sell stuff on the street. My grandmother's one of those entrepreneurs, bro. She would see a cactus, chop it up, cut it into little pieces, and sell nopales to the neighborhood, bro. Nice. And then so she would make my mom and all her brothers and sisters make piñatas and sell them in the streets. And my uncle hated making piñatas because of the paper mache and getting all that color all over his fingers and so my grandma was like you gotta help us make money somehow so he would sing and dance in the street and put out a little sombrero and make more money with propinas and tips than my grandmother would making piñatas and so my uncle had this uncanny ability to like make people laugh he got discovered on and, and got put on these tv shows so my uncle was a child actor and he was on shows like bonanza and Gunsmoke and all these old shows in the 60s and 70s and so when as a kid growing up you know my family was a typical latino family where like everyone like someone would get drunk and start yelling and my grandma was like yeah larganse de mi casa get out of my house you crazy people and my uncle would like whenever the family would fight he'd go okay you guys i got one i got one and he'd tell a joke and you know how latinos tell a joke bro they exaggerate this happened and then that happened and then bam he would tell the punchline and everyone would be cracking up <laughs> and as a little kid seven eight nine ten years old i was like dude we were all fighting a second ago and now we're laughing dude, I want to learn how to do that. I want to heal people with laughter. So I started memorizing jokes. And my uncle would always say, Neto, Neto. My family calls me Neto, short for Ernesto. 
He'd say, Neto, Neto, what's the joke they're saying at school? So I would tell him the joke, and then five minutes later, he'd be telling my joke to the whole family ten times funnier. I'm like, that was my joke. But he had this ability to make the family laugh, and I, and I realized the power of laughter as a kid. So I decided to become a comedian. But my mom hated that my uncle was the center of attention. So she's like, you need to go to school. I don't care how funny you are. You need to get your education. And so the story that you're probably referring to is that first person in my family to go to college right after high school, and then I got kicked out of Loyola Marymount. I became another Latino statistic, a dropout, and it was devastating for me. And I went back home, and my mom was like, what happened? And I said, I got kicked out of college. And she's like, no, you didn't. Go back and tell them you want to go back. And I said, I can't. They kicked me out. And that was devastating for me, for my family, to be like the first person to go to college and then to get kicked out of college. And for a year or so, I was really depressed. And then the story that I've told hundreds of thousands of students is that my aunt got sick. And she went to the hospital and I was I was supposed to go visit her and I called her and she said, no, I don't know. There's something wrong with my blood, but I'll be home in a couple of days, mijo. And I didn't go visit my aunt and I'll never stop regretting that because the next day my cousin called. She's like, my mom died. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. My tia, she was like the matriarch of our family. All our Thanksgivings and quinceañera, I mean, Christmases were at her house. And so when she died, that was like one of the most devastating moments in my life. And I was super depressed. And then I came home and I saw a motivational speaker by the name of Les Brown on TV. And he was saying, you are meant for greatness. You, it, it is better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. I was like, who is this dude? He's talking into my soul. And I watched that video over and over and over again. And I realized, dude, I got to get back in school for my tia. I got to get back in school for my family. And so long story short, I worked really hard after my tia died in her honor. And I made up all these classes, got back into Loyola Marymount made the dean's list my last two semesters in honor of my tia, and then I graduated from college. And when I graduated, that was one of the greatest days of my life because it was like, I did it, mom, bros, I did it. And from that day forward, I knew that I had a gift to give the world, and and that gift was that no matter how bad things can get, you can always flip the script and and have an amazing life. And so comedy was kind of a separate thing. You know, my uncle inspired me to be funny, But I took this life-altering transformational seminar called The Forum, The Landmark Forum. And they have it here in Phoenix. They have it all over the world. It's called uh, Landmark Worldwide. I think I had mentioned it to you a few times. Mm -hmm. But um, at Landmark, they said, if you know in your heart you're a performer and you're not performing, you're robbing the world of who you are. And I was like, oh, bro. There's people out there that want to play an instrument and they don't do it. There's people out there that can sing and they don't sing enough. There's people out there that want to act, want to write a poem, or maybe want to... know do better in math or they want to write a book and people think ah why should I do it or we get lazy and when someone told me that you know you're robbing the world of who you are I started doing comedy and here we are bro 20 years later I'm one of the top Latino comedians in the country and doing my inspirational comedy at colleges and universities and inspiring people like you to be the best versions of themselves so uh, you know one of the messages I tell students is if it is to be it is up to me that's one of the things I learned at that seminar if it is to be it is up to me, and now I live. My, I lead my life, taking responsibility for my life, and I lead a magical life. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Damn, yeah, we could just record. That. We could just we could just end this video <laughs> interview right here, right there. You answered uh, all my questions. No, I'm like, <laughs> and for next week's episode, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, well, what did it feel like for the first time to make somebody laugh? Because you've gone through all this adversity, you figured your passion through your uncle, um, and also like because you wanted to graduate from college uh, to honor your aunt. Like, when was it when it was that first time 
you you started making people laugh like how did you manage that like oh, wow bro. like I, i'm gonna do this yeah like, yeah yeah um when you're not cute and you're not smart, you got to figure out something to get the girls, bro. <laughs> it's all about making the girls like you, dude. And I was never cute enough, and I was never smart enough, so I better be funny, dude. <laughs> and I just I just remember, you know, the power of laughter, dude. You know, the, the, the funniest guy in the group was the one that everyone was like, oh, dude, this guy's funny, bro. So as a kid, I just remember that, th- that there was power in that, you know. And I, I know this sounds ridiculous, dude, but, like, I remember in first or second grade, um, you know, like the cool kids in our class, they, uh, you know, they were just cute. You know, girls liked them because they were cute. And then, dude, this is going to be so ridiculous. I can't believe I'm telling you this story. <laughs> in kindergarten, there was a group of us that were too rambunctious to take a nap. We were supposed to take a nap every day after lunch from like one to two, in right? In kindergarten. In kindergarten. <laughs> and we were too rambunctious. So the teachers just put us in a separate room. So there was probably four boys and four girls. And so we would get under the tables and we would have kissing clubs. <laughs> we, would, we would make out under the tables, dude. And they would walk in on us and they'd be like, what are you guys doing? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I remember like we would put the girls up against the wall and we'd pick them like teams. Okay, you kiss with her, you oh kiss with him. And I wanted, to, I, I, I wanted to kiss <laughs> Yvette, dude. Yvette was the cute little morenita, dark-skinned Mexican girl. And she liked this guy, Richard. So Richard always would kiss with Yvette. But this time, Richard's like, you can go first, dude. You pick first. And I was like, I get to go first? Dude, I want Yvette. So I pointed at Yvette and I go, I want Yvette. And in front of everyone, she goes, no, I don't want to kiss Ernesto. And I was like, dun, 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 dun. I was devastated, bro. And Richard was like, it's cool, dude. It's cool, bro. Here, come here. Kiss Dora. Kiss Dora. So he got this redheaded, freckle-faced girl, Dora. And I started kissing with Dora. And I was like, I don't get the events in life. I only get the Doras. And I knew in that moment, I was like, dude, I got to do something, bro. I, I'm not cute enough. I'm not smart enough. And at least let me be funny. So I started being funny and and, and kids like me because I was funny dude <laughs> it's so embarrassing that's but it, awesome. no, it's that's the truth great. dude oh, the man. thing is everybody has a gift every person out there that's listening to this has a gift in your gut in your soul you know that you're good at something and that is the thing that you're supposed to manifest and that's the thing you're supposed to focus on the most in the American education system we teach people you got to be good at everything you got to learn math and reading and mm-hmm. science and music and physical activities and a lot of times kids who are really good at one thing, they try and focus on all this other stuff because that's the American school system, but they neglect the thing that they're the best at. And in other school districts, I mean, in other school systems all over the world, they find out what you're really good at, and then you spend most of your time manifesting that gift. And so everybody in there has a gift, and my gift was making people laugh. And so I've made a career out of doing that. Uh, but everybody out there has something that they're supposed to be giving the planet, and your job is to figure out what that is. Some people are just good at numbers. Some people are good at finance. Yeah. And if you're good at that stuff, go kill it in that. Some people are horrible at numbers, but they're good at reading or they're good at philosophy. Figure out the thing that makes your soul sing. Ooh, dude, I was going to say that one for later, but it just popped up. <laughs> if, if you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, figure out what makes your soul sing and go do that more. Oh, that was deep, dude. Yeah, that is deep, man. That is deep. Because, I I mean, I'm the same way with you where sometimes when I work with students, because I work with college students, it really feels great when you get to make an impact and they finally start um, breaking in and they start listening. Because I'm sure in your field of work, you work with some kids that have been through uh, rough patches and sometimes it's good to, like, see them grow and really start – 
seeing how great they truly are. Totally. So, yeah, I appreciate that. That's um, cool, man. And then, so, as part of, like, your starting comedy, getting into, you know, different shows, uh, when when did you drop everything in doing stand-up? Because I, I think you did some stand-up. Uh, you were in a bunch of shows uh, with all these famous people, George Lopez um, and Fluffy, Gabriel Iglesias. Uh, when did you drop doing that and then start <laughs> just working with kids? Because I'm sure any person that's, like, really maybe into the money would be like, no, I can't do that because I'm going to make a lot less. My figure is going down. Yeah. I'm making this much. Now I'm going to make less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually never stopped doing the comedy. I'm still doing it. Like tonight, you know, I know mm-hmm. the, the time is a little off, but I'm performing in Phoenix at a comedy club tonight after performing for your uh, organization, the Be a Leader Foundation, which is where my heart and soul is. So in a nutshell, I got into comedy right after I got back into college and graduated. And like I said earlier, Les Brown, this motivational speaker, inspired me to get back into college so when I quit graduate school to start comedy, um, I started comedy because I took this really powerful seminar and they said, if you know in your heart you're a performer and you're not performing, you're robbing the world of who you are. So I started doing comedy and then I started throwing motivational speaking into my comedy. And all these comedians were like, bro, what are you doing, dude? Don't be doing that. Live your dream stuff, dude. <laughs> People come to comedy shows to forget about their lives. You're making them think about their lives. I'm like, oh my God. So. From the first year until about maybe six or seven years in, I never did any inspirational stuff. Mm. I just focused on being funny, and I got really lucky that I met George Lopez and Gabriel Iglesias and Felipe Esparza and all these comics, and we went we were on the on, on the road together. We were all broke and trying to figure out how what to do with our lives, mm-hmm. and then we all ended up on a TV show called Que Locos, and that TV show was hosted by George Lopez and Gabriel Iglesias, Felipe Esparza, me, a bunch of comics. We became pretty well known in the Latino comedy world. So then we weren't millionaires, bro. When, when, when I left comedy, none of us had popped yet. None of us had made it. Gabriel just started becoming famous. He, had, he was on a show on Nickelodeon. He had done maybe one Comedy Central special. But what happened was I had the opportunity to speak in front of a bunch of high school students. And they were like, you got to keep it clean. And I was like, I think I can do that. And so, <laughs> so I performed and the students loved it, bro. And I was like, dude, this is so much better than performing for a bunch of drunk people at a comedy club. I want to make students laugh. And so I slowly started doing the empowerment stuff. But it took me a while. And really the, way, the, the day that it all changed was I performed for the National Council de la Raza which is now called uh, Unidos USA or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But um, they had a national conference in Austin, Texas, where people from all over the country, the top educated Latinos, came together to talk about politics and education and business. And they said, dude, you got to perform, but t- you got to do 10 minutes, but it has to be clean, totally clean. I go, I think I can do 10 minutes. And so I performed, and in the middle of my set, the, the sound system crashed. Oh. And some dude ran up to me with a cordless mic, and, or a mic, and he that had a little cord connected to a little speaker. <laughs> and he's like, dude, keep talking until we figure it out. And I'm like, bro, I'm done with my clean comedy. I have no more jokes that I can do for this crowd. All my other stuff is F this and P that. He's like, just talk to them. I'm like, uh, are there any educated Latinos out there? Forgetting that I'm at the National Council de la Raza conference. <laughs> so everyone's like, duh, we're all business owners and lawyers and attorneys. And I'm like, don't you hate being the only Latino in your science class? And then people laughed at it. And I was like, whoa, so let me just share my experience. So I talked about being you know, in a minority of Latinos that are going to college. 
And so people just started laughing and I just started sharing my autobiographical story. And almost an hour later, 52 minutes later, the guy, the sound system came back on. And, and everyone's, I'm like, all right, I'm Ernie G, I'm out of here. And people were like, oh, that was awesome. And I got a standing O from all the people. It was probably like four or 500 uh, Hispanic, educated Hispanics listening to me. And I usually, I have a comedy CD called Mama's Boy. And if I sell three or four CDs, I'm happy. I made 20, 40, 50 bucks. I sold all 30 of my CDs wow. and I collected a, a stack of business cards from all these like important like CEOs and VPs of all these big companies. And for the next year, I performed at PepsiCo. I performed at Miller Genuine Draft. Uh, That's uh, awesome. uh, I performed, uh, there's this guy named uh, Diego Osuna. He was the vice president of Hispanic marketing for General Mills in, Milwaukee, in uh, Minnesota. And he flew me out there to perform for his Hispanic marketing That's students. Awesome. And they paid me thousands, bro. And, and at that point, I had only made, you know, two, three hundred bucks every time I performed. And now I made five thousand bucks. So I'm like, let me see, make 50 bucks at the Laugh Factory or five thousand bucks for General Mills. It's <laughs> a no brainer. Right. So I just tried for the next year and a half to like get rid of all of my bad, tasteless jokes and just do smart empowerment comedy. And it took me a while. It took me almost a year and a half to get as funny as I was to, without cursing, just being funny and being inspirational. And it took a while. And I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I'm pretty good at it now. I've been doing it for 12, 13 years. But, um, it, you know, it never ends. And I still do the comedy clubs to stay sharp. So I never really left that world. But that's not, you know, that's not what uh, really inspires me. What inspires me is empowering other students and uh, other people. Awesome. That's great. Uh, so you actually answered my next question, <laughs> which was like growing the large fan base. Oh, yeah. Um, so how did you, I guess, how did you keep, your your fans because right now I mean every time I go with you like when we're in LA or you're in town we're sitting at a restaurant and then someone's recognizes you if it's not a young kid hey you went to my high school mm. or if it's an older person hey weren't you on that show yeah a while back um how do you like keep your whole fan base engaged so that they can continue following you bro I wish I had the answer to that I really feel like I do a bad job of it like there's so many people out there that I don't know are my fans. And, dude, I, I seriously, you know, you know a kid, uh, his name is Cisco Fernandez, dude. Yeah. He's here from Arizona. And he, he he did that youth empowerment program that you right. did. And we inspired him. He, he did the CHCI, the Hispanic Cong uh, Congressional Caucus Institute. Yeah. And now he's working as a page in NBC. I just talked to him. And I was like, bro, you got to help me figure out my Facebook account, dude, because I have my personal Facebook account. I have Ernie G Comedian, which is a separate one. And then I have my fan page. And like each one has separate, different fans. I got 5,000 fans on this page, 5,000 fans on that page, 6,000 fans on that. But I don't think any of them interact with each other. So the, I think the point is this, that I keep it real with everybody. I don't fake the funk. I'm not phony. Mm -hmm. I always have time for people. Whenever they come up and say hi, I always look them in the eyes and say thank you and take pictures with them. A lot of people, when they become celebrities, they or they they become popular, they just they don't have time for people and they're just like, oh, hurry up, take a damn picture, get out of here. And people remember that, and then they tell yeah. their friends, that dude's a jerk, dude. I don't like that guy. But mm -hmm. for me, it's a blessing. So every person I've ever impacted or been with, I always try to take a picture with them and treat them like you know beautiful people and people remember that so I have a lot of fans it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me bro everywhere I go I'll, I get recognized man I was in Japan entertaining our troops and uh, somebody recognized me out there dude I was like what the heck and like oh yeah que locos I remember you I'm like dude that's so cool man I was uh, I went by myself oh, the la when I performed at NAU 
You brought me out to NAU, and I stayed a couple extra days, and I went to the Grand Canyon by myself. I tried to get a couple of you guys to go with me. Right. I said, I'll just go by myself. So I went by myself. I'm walking the Grand Canyon, and some kids all, dude, you performed at my high school. Oh, and I was like, I took a yeah. picture with him. Yeah, I posted. I was like, dude, I get recognized everywhere. In the Grand Canyon by myself, I got recognized. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think what it is, it's, it's, it's manifesting those relationships. You never know who's going to come back and, you know, remember you. And so you got to be good to everyone. Be good to everyone every time that you interact with someone. Mm-hmm. Be good to them. Yeah. Awesome. And and I, I just like that you say that because I'm the kind of person that I'm kind with everyone because you never know what where they're coming from, what's going on. Um, emotional intelligence, kind of seeing like, hey, if they were a jerk for you or like maybe threw you off that first time, looking past that because it could be something that they're going through. Totally. There's a great quote out there. It says, everybody's going through something always be kind, you know, because you never know what people are going through. And sometimes I've been in a position where, you know, like I'll, I'll be at a show and I have like 20 people yanking at me and somebody's like pulling my arm. Hey, Arnie, come take a picture. And I'm like, give me a second, please. I'm over here with this person. And they're like, jerk, he doesn't have time for us. Like People get really like uh, invasive and like mm-hmm. demanding with your, your energy. But, you know, I can't control how people respond to me, but what I can control is how I am. And I just always try to be kind to as many people as I can. And people remember that. I have people come up to me, bro, I know you don't remember this, but I met you 12 years ago at the Laugh Factory, and you were out there with my wife, bro, and you took a picture with us, and we still have that picture. And you were so nice, bro, and we were tripping because you were so famous, and everyone knew you, but you you really took time to hang out with us. And I was like, I don't even remember that, dude, but that sounds cool, man. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Yeah, and then how did you, once you transitioned from doing you know stand up um to more you know clean comedy with for students and young adults and professionals what um how what how did you market that to those people because mm. you first it sounds like it was a lot of word of mouth and getting those business cards start building your yeah base. well i've always kind of been known as a cleaner comic even when i was cursing up a storm uh my comedy cd was entitled mama's boy and <laughs> You know, my mom used to go to a lot of my shows, bro. And every year I would have a big birthday bash for my birthday. And it was a fundraiser for the Ernie G Scholarship Funding. Like Gabriel Iglesias and all these famous comics would perform at my birthday bash. And I remember, dude, I was probably turning like 32, 33 years old. And there was like 500 people at this. I used to do comedy at this place called the Rumba Room. And it was packed. And my mom's in the front with my family. And I'm like doing a joke. And in the middle of my joke, I, I, I let out an F-bomb or something. F this or something. And my mom stood up in front of everyone. She goes, no, Ernesto, no, I don't like that. Don't be cursing in front of your mother. I don't like that. And I'm like, dude, I'm turning 33 years old and I'm still getting regañado, bro. I'm still getting busted by my mom. I said, give it up for my mom. And everyone clapped. And I was like, dude, I got to pick a team, dude. I, I, I got to just stop cursing. And it took me a while, dude, because, you know, it's easy as a comic to go for the curse because you think that it's that you need it to be funny, but it ends up becoming a crutch. And nowadays, people just don't like random uh, obligatory cursing. They want somebody to have a point of view and to say something that makes them think. And so now I never curse and I never, I don't even try, I try not to do questionable material, which is hard because comedy right. is all about making fun of life. And you're, you're going to offend somebody sometimes, but for the uh-huh. most part, you can always count on Ernie G to be clean and then to deliver a message. And, and like Maya Angelou said, 
you may not always remember what people say, you may not remember what they do, but you'll always remember how they make you feel. Mm -hmm. And so when people come to my show, they always feel empowered or they feel uplifted. Uh -huh. And when you curse, it's always kind of like a little jab. Like you hear an F-bomb, it's like, ooh, ouch, ee, why did they say that? But when you, you, know, you mix comedy with a couple inspirational stories, people always remember how they feel. Yeah, and obviously being a comedian is fun. But how do you choose your words words wisely when making these jokes? Because like uh, I'm sure you've offended some people in the always, past. Always, bro. It's hard not to. <laughs> the thing about comedy, dude, is like you always are gonna put your foot in your mouth, and you're always it's trial by error. That's why what people don't realize is that when you see a comedian on TV, you what you haven't seen is the eight, nine, ten years that they were going up every single night, going up in front of crowds, getting booed off stage, bombing, mm -hmm. trying this joke, trying that joke. Uh, oh, dude, I sucked tonight. That set sucked. And, dude, I have a great story that when I was at the, I was in L.A. one time at the comedy store, the world-famous comedy store, and all of my, some of my favorite heroic comedians were hanging out. It was Chris Rock, Bill Maher, who has a show on HBO, Andrew Dice Clay, one of the most famous comedians of all time, Pauly Shore, um, all these comics, were, there was like six or seven of them talking, and I was just like standing next to them like trying to eavesdrop, and they were all laughing but they weren't bragging about how awesome they were. They were trying to outdo each other for how horribly they bombed. Like they were like, dude, I got booed off stage, bro. And then Andrew Dice Clay's like, try getting booed off stage by 100,000 people at Madison Square Garden. And then Chris Rock was like, dude, I got booed off stage by 20,000 at this, whatever. And they were all trying to outdo each other by saying, look at how bad I've had it, because that's what makes you strong. When you fail miserably over and over again, you get thick skin, and then you realize, okay, don't do that joke, do it this way, do it that way. And by the time someone's on TV, it's been trial and error for years. And so that's why like people get frustrated with George Lopez. They're all, dude, I've heard all these jokes, man. He needs to write new jokes. I'm like, it took him 10 years to come up with that one special. You want him just to bust out with a new joke? Gabriel has a hard time right now because, I mean, Gabriel's hilarious. Fluffy's hilarious. But now he's gotten to the point where he just tells stories. And he makes the stories really funny uh, just yeah. by doing his voices and stuff. But it takes forever to write new material, bro. And, and so for yeah. me, I've been really lucky that I can do the kind of like the same hour, hour and a half set because all these students have never seen me. But if I got to the point where I was doing Netflix specials once a year and stuff, I'd have to be writing new material. And it's, it's tough. tough. Yeah, it's it really tough. hard. It's not like you can pop out albums, CDs. <laughs> no, bro. Can't do that. People don't realize. I mean, it truly is an art form, bro. And, and there's some guys out there that have been really blessed to have come up with one album and, and the album did really well. Um, you know, like Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah is, you know, he's a beast, man. Uh, but there's a documentary about his life, and he was trying a comedy in, in, in South Africa where he's from. And all the other comics, they, they were hating on him because like, he's not seasoned. He hasn't been doing it long enough. But he was just smart, and he recorded a big special, like, at a theater. And then that special became a Netflix special, and it got seen <laughs> by millions and millions of people. Wow. And now he's one of the most famous comics in the world. But, you know, quote, unquote, did he earn it? I don't know if he did, but it's not my place to say. All I know is Trevor Noah is one of the baddest MFers out there right now and everyone knows him and loves him and so I give him much props but you just never know that that you know that doesn't happen all the time but you know you, you never know how people are going to pop but he, he's definitely in demand now man yeah and then talking about failure why do comedians fail because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that like work hard to get to that point um, I know I, I I mean the the way I know if I ever had to do like a comic stand-up 
I just make fun of myself because people <laughs> laugh when I make fun of myself yeah. or t- share my stories of like talking about my like past relationships. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, like, how how does a a comedian fail in this line of work? Bro, everybody fails in the it, co- comedy is the survival of the fittest, and it's the survival of the of the most stubborn too because. I, every everybody that asks me, dude, I want to do comedy. I think I'm funny, dude. I make people laugh everywhere I go. I've always wanted to do comedy. I always tell them this story. What you're gonna do is you're gonna practice like five minutes. Come up with five minutes of material. Practice it in the mirror. Do whatever you gotta do. Then go up on stage and try it. You you are not a comic unless you've been in front of a group of strangers. It can't be your friends and your family because they're all gonna go. Oh, for you no 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 you get up in front of a group of strangers you try your jokes for five minutes and what's gonna happen is you're gonna suck and no (laughs) one's gonna laugh and you're gonna come off stage going I'm never doing that again or the second thing will happen to it you're gonna get up on stage you're gonna practice really hard you're gonna do five minutes of comedy and you're gonna suck and no one's gonna laugh and you're gonna come off stage going I have to do that again. I know I'm funnier than that. I must prove to people how funny I am. And if that second thing happens to you, may God have mercy on your soul because you have the bug. You have been bitten with the performance entertainment bug and you're going to keep doing it over and over again. And some people just get addicted to the rush. If you get one joke in front of a group of strangers and people laugh at it, that is like injecting heroin straight into your veins <laughs> and you become addicted to the crack of laughter, dude. Yeah. And uh, people try and try. And t- I know comedians to this day that are, they've been doing it 20 years and they're just not funny, but they get enough laughs and they uh, you know, are able to do it just enough that they, that they get addicted to it. But... There's, there's so many funny comedians out there that just never made it because they got married and they had kids or they had to get a job. Uh, I'm not the funniest guy out there, but I'm definitely one of the most committed and, and, and stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Can you share maybe something about uh, your, your professional history with being working in comedy, uh, something that you learned from your past failures? Oh, yeah, dude. Something that maybe like an audience like college students um, would... Oh, bro. I mean, I've gotten booed off stage so many times. I've had professors coming up to me and say, why, you know, don't you think that material is inappropriate? And, you know, as a comic, you're an artist. And so you're putting your heart and soul out there. And you're just like, screw this dude. Just because I offended one person, I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't care. But after a while, if you get the same people saying the same things about certain things, you kind of, you have to learn how to pivot. You have to learn how to adjust. And um, and for me, the greatest, the, the greatest lesson is the public. You know, the, the audience, they'll tell you if something's funny. And you, I'm at the point in my career now where almost everything that comes out of my mouth, a student has said, dude, that inspired me. Oh, man, that was so funny. That was so great. So trial and error, you know, you got to keep doing it. And if you keep getting the same negative response to the same things that you're saying, then you got to not say that anymore. And and for me, it's been, you know, that that's why empowerment comedy has been a blessing because I just did regular stand-up comedy and in regular stand-up comedy if the audience doesn't laugh or if they boo or if they don't like what you're doing then you got to stop doing that or else you ain't going to get no more work right Mm -hmm. so now I'm at the point where 90% of everything that comes out of my mouth I know is tried and tested and true and people love it that's awesome (laughs) Uh, what is the so you inspire this large community of Latinos, mm-hmm. great leaders. You hear from, there's this new word called thought leaders talking about people who bring so, uh, a sort of like new wave of inspiration to, to, to young individuals. 
I'm, I'm trying to think one thought leader. Actually, well, Barack Obama's a thought leader because he brings a bunch of ideas and bringing this next generation. He has his Obama Foundation to really help inspire young people to get into politics, people yeah, of color. Absolutely. The same way as like businesses, what they're trying to do is bring people of color to executive roles. He's doing that, but within the political uh, spectrum. Yeah. Um, so when you're reaching to all these people all around the country, what is the biggest uh, challenge that leaders are facing today? Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that leaders are facing today is that everybody is a leader now. And, dude, 10, 15 years ago when I started doing this empowerment stuff, I was a rarity. Like, oh, you do empowerment comedy? What's that? I've never heard of that. That sounds amazing. Now I tell people I'm an inspirational comic. They're like, oh, yeah, my mom does comedy. She did a, a comedy class. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my, my, the, the salon, uh, the, the, my, my hairstylist, she's a life coach, and she teaches life classes online. And I'm just like, dude, and, like the message was anybody can be a leader. Anybody can be a rock star. And there's so many people that have taken that on. But here's the thing. A, anybody can be a leader and anybody can be a coach but you got to start with yourself you have to w do the work on yourself and there's a lot of hypocrites out there and they're not applying what they're wanting to teach to people they're not applying it to their own personal life so there's some life coaches out there that are still broke and still haven't quote unquote made it but they just want to make an impact so badly that they're out there doing this this thing there's a there's a comedian named uh, Joey Diaz and Joey's been real famous for a long time he's actually really good friends with uh, with uh, the the host of Fear Factor uh, what's his name? Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, great. Yeah, so Joe Rogan has a great podcast too, and Joey Diaz is one of his good buddies. And Joey's been a friend of mine for years. He goes, "You can't mess with the laws of physics, Ernie G. The cream always rises to the top. That's why people hate on you, Ernie G, because the cream always rises to the top. You can't mess with the laws of physics." And what he means by that is that when you're good, you will shine. And I've been doing this so long now that if I wasn't good at what I was doing, I wouldn't be able to earn a living and be making the impact on as many people as I as I have been able to. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that claim to be leaders, but they haven't really applied the laws of leadership, the laws of attraction, the laws of success to their personal life. They preach it, but do they walk the walk? And so nowadays, I think. The ones that are really walking the walk are the ones that are shining, the ones that are rising to the top. And so that, that for me is a beautiful thing. I, I love the fact that leadership is out there now. People want to be leaders, and we're all trying to figure out what it is and doing the best that we can with it. So, awesome. yeah, cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, cool, man. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, since we're in the topic of leadership questions, uh, can you name a person who has had tremendous impact in your life? And I know you named a few um, your uncle, uh, your aunt, mm -hmm. maybe someone who has been a mentor to you to this day. Yeah, absolutely. I got several, brother. And I always tell young people, you got to find a mentor that's doing what you want to be doing. And since I kind of created this genre of empowerment comedy, there wasn't really anybody out there that was doing inspirational and comedy. But I do have some amazing people, like a guy named Jeffrey Vargas. He's one of the guys that invented and started the Hispanic Youth Symposium that you did. Oh, wow. And then he's friends... Uh, so, so some of my biggest mentors are like world-renowned leadership gurus. There's a guy named Ken Wilber, who is a really famous philosopher. My friend Kate Maloney, 
um, is on Ken Wilber's board, and Kate Maloney is the executive producer of this amazing documentary film called We Rise Up. And I got asked to be in this movie, mm -hmm. and in this movie are some of the world's leading experts in leadership and success. Tony Robbins is in this movie. Wow. Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Souls, in this movie. Nice to see those at the library. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so these are some of the people, and, and before they were just like, these people that I looked up to that I've read their books, but now that I'm in this movie with them, you know, I've gotten to meet them. And these are just some of the most extraordinary people on the planet. The one person that really has probably had the most profound impact on me, his name is Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith. And he started a church called the Agape International Spiritual Center in LA. And I try to go to his church uh, every Sunday if I'm home in town. Uh, he was in a documentary film called The Secret. If people haven't seen the movie The Secret, they gotta watch it. It's about the law of attraction. And he's one of the teachers of The Secret. He's also in the We Rise Up movie that I get to be wow. in, which is a blessing because I saw this movie 10, 15 years ago mm -hmm. and I meditated and I, and I dreamed about meeting this guy. Now I go to his church and now I'm in a movie with this guy, you know? <laughs> so it's like the law of manifestation, the law of attraction really came true for me. But one of the most powerful things that Reverend Michael ever said, he said it in The Secret. He said, when you commit to what you're supposed to be doing, when you surrender to that still small voice within and you start doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, he said, the universe will correspond to the nature of your song. And when he said that, bro, those words like pierced my soul. And I was like, whoa, that's, um, say that, what? I had to rewind it. The universe <laughs> will correspond to the nature of your song. And when I heard that, what I got were the songs that I had been singing. If you keep saying, oh, they keep Latinos down, then that's going to be your experience. If you keep mm. saying, oh, be opening up business is hard, then that's going to be your experience. If you keep saying, oh, there's nobody, nobody supports me, that'll be your experience. But if you sing a different song, if you say, dude, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to be a success. I believe in myself. The universe is for me. Doors are opening for me. Then that will be your experience. And I got the songs that I had been singing, even though like not out loud verbally singing them, but in my mind, I kept thinking, nah, dude, I can't do this or I'm not going to be able to do that. And I realized my life was a reflection of the songs I had been singing. So now right. all the songs that I sing are, if it is to be, it is up to me. The songs I keep singing are, let my light shine. The songs that I keep singing is, the universe is for me, not against me. There's so much magic in my life. And I have so many friends who are like, dude, how do you stay positive? And I'm like, you got to keep singing that song, man. Mm. And the universe will correspond to the nature of yeah. your song. Dang, that was deep, That was deep. Dude. That was deep. <laughs> I got to record this. Are we recording it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Perfect. What are the most, um, like, how do you, because I know you said you're working on your social media, so your image obviously is important. You want to throw out positivity to these students. Uh, what do you do to reach out to these students through social media? Um, to be honest with you, I just post as often as I can, and I'm not doing a good... See, here's another great story that I hate telling, dude. <laughs> Ten years ago, I, I, I was speaking at an event, and I had all these people show up, and they go, dude, you're an inspirational comedian. I want to do that. How can I do that? And I looked at all these students, and I'm like, you guys can do it. Just get a video and start recording yourself and put videos online. I go, I'm not even doing that. And I've just been really blessed that I kind of went the traditional route of performing. You know, when you perform for hundreds of thousands of people, you're bound to have plenty of fans. But I don't post enough videos, and I don't do enough online stuff. And there was a guy named Eddie G., who went to my seminar and he took my advice and started posting all these videos. And now 
It's Eddie G has way more followers than Ernie G. This mm-hmm. dude gets hired by like Hispanicize and he's doing all these speaking <laughs> I know what you're talking about. It's Eddie G. <laughs> and people always think, hey, bro, that's funny. I saw your videos. You're doing well. I'm like, that's not me, dude. That's Eddie G. I'm Ernie G. <laughs> so I, I went and had lunch with him. I go, bro, you blew up, dude. You're more famous than me now. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, dude, you're way more famous than I am. I'm famous in the traditional sense of fame, like like I've had fans for many years, but he has thousands and thousands of followers online right now, mm-hmm. and he posts like some silly, ridiculous videos. And so the point is, I need to catch up with the millennials. I need to get somebody young to help me post videos. And I mean, I'm very blessed. See, Joey Diaz said, the cream always rises to the top. So I'm doing good work. So just without even trying hard, without even like really focusing on acquiring followers it's it's not for me about acquiring numbers of followers it's about making an impact on people so just having a lot of followers doesn't necessarily mean stuff i mean you could you can set your farts on fire and get thousands and thousands of views right but does that make any impact on people so i I care more about making an impact on people and i literally have thousands of students that i've impacted so that that's the way where the blessing is wow that's awesome thank you for sharing that and i'm sure you'll You'll still be around. People will remember. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, and I know I will commemorate your stuff. Make sure you record your recording part of this. <laughs> Leave, leaving your legacy in different places. Um, last leadership question, then I'll get to like things for some of our listeners because I always like some juicy things that they can take home. Sweet. Um, so that they could like do what they want to do because there may be a kid out there who's like sitting down and and. and wants to try doing comedy but isn't isn't sure someone who wants to start their own business totally um so what do you think what do you think is one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess sorry bro i just got a text Uh, repeat that (laughs) what's what's one what is one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess Ooh, (laughs) i got this from les brown bro stern pertinacity Stern pertinacity means ain't nothing going to stop you. There ain't nothing that's going to stop you. The most successful people in life, they just knew they were going to do it, and they did it and didn't let anybody stop you. If you know that you're doing good, that you're doing the right thing. Now, there's a lot of stubborn jerks out there and stubborn a-holes that have stern pertinacity, and they accomplished really horrible things because they were going to do it and nothing was going to stop them. And I'm not necessarily talking about that. I just know that there's some good people out there that have gifts to give the world and they're shy or a little embarrassed to give them. But if you believe in yourself and you set your go- your you put your eyes on the prize and set your eyes on that goal and say I'm going to do it, don't let anybody stop you, bro. Comedians are the best at getting booed off stage and having crickets and telling a joke and expecting people to laugh and nobody laughs and they just stare at you like you're an idiot. What the heck did you say that for? You need to get the heck off the stage. I paid money to listen to you and you didn't make me laugh. You're a jerk. And then you you go home and you're like, dude, I got to try better and try harder next time. And we love failure, bro. We get better and better at failure. That's the thing. Entrepreneurs must have a profound relationship with failure. Failure is not the universe telling you to stop. It's the universe telling you to redirect your energy. You got to keep going forward. Mm-hmm. But stern pertinacity is something I learned from Les Brown, baby. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and then for our fellow comedians out there, <laughs> or aspiring comedians, or a person trying to create a movement um, to inspire others in education, wherever it is, 
what roadblocks should these leaders look out for? You um, talked about failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a trick question because you say what fa- what roadblocks should they look out for? I don't think they should look out for any roadblocks because what you focus on expands. That's one of the laws of attraction. If you focus on roadblocks or you focus on not making mistakes, what are you focused on? So you want to focus on your dream. You want to focus on your goal. You want to focus on the positive slant that you're trying to create. And you're going to experience roadblocks. You're going to experience failure. You're going to experience setbacks. And when those things happen, you get to look at them as opportunities. Dude, getting a flat tire is not a breakdown if you see it as an opportunity to get better at fixing the flat flat really quick or get better at calling AAA and learning how to be resourceful. I remember one of the students from the Hispanic Youth Symposium, um, he lived in D.C. and the symposium was at Virginia Tech. And he asked me if, you know, I asked him if I can get a ride to D.C. And we had bonded and we had become boys. So we're driving for two hours to D.C. and we got a flat tire. And this kid just freaked out. He's like, oh, dude, my mom's going to kill me. I go, bro, this is beautiful, dude. Thank God I'm here with you. What do we have to do? How do we fix this, bro? What's the next step? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Call my mom. Okay, that's one option. You can do that. Or you can call Auto Club or you can call a tow truck. Or we can figure this out. When life hands you a situation that seems like a breakdown, it's just an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity mm-hmm. to expand yourself and say, how do I handle this powerfully and effectively? Right. And thank God I was with him because if he was by himself, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. He was a 19-year-old kid driving his mom's car. But what happened was I said, have faith, dude. Everything's going to be fine. So he called his mom. His mom was like, mijo, it's fine. I have auto club. Here's my number. Call the auto club. The auto club came. They fixed the spare. And then it just so happened that we were two exits away from a school, I mean, from a town, Harrisonburg, Virginia, that I had just performed at like six Mm -hmm. months ago. So I called some random teacher from that high school. And he's like, oh, yeah, dude, come stay at my house. You guys will be fine. We drive with a spare tire to this guy's house. We spend the night. We get breakfast cooked for us. The next morning... They called, uh, you know, the, the the tire place. They replaced the tire, the cheap used tire. It costed 40 bucks. And then we were on our way the next day. I mean, what are the chances that we would have gotten a flat tire just a few exits away from somebody that I knew? And it really had to do with this kid having a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe that God brought me with him. Because if he was by himself, who knows what would have happened. Right, right. But because I was there to guide him. But now this kid knows, if I get a flat tire, don't freak out. Don't start crying. Mm-hmm. Just do what there is to do. There's there's something, there's always a way right. to handle the situation. Right. And no matter how bad it is, bro, whether it's money or, you know, any breakdown is salvageable. It's just an opportunity for growth. It depends on how you look at it. It's either a failure and there's nothing to do and I don't know how I'm going to deal with this or, okay, a breakdown. What do we do? How do we handle this? Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Last question. So um, for our audience, what books, resources would you give um, or recommend to someone looking to gain gain insight to become a better leader i know you mentioned a few earlier oh there's so many out there bro i've, I've read so many books but the first one that I, I like to share with people it's one of the simplest books to read mm-hmm. it's called the four agreements by don miguel ruiz mm-hmm. the four agreements sets a footprint for how to live our life and don miguel ruiz is a is a he, he, he's a toltec master uh toltecs were like some of the indigenous people of mexico and they live by four basic agreements. The four basic agreements are be impeccable with your word. If you're going to say something, you do it. Number two is don't t- 
take anything personally. Life is not happening to us. It's happening for us. But we like to take things personally and say, oh, my God, this my, my cousin, that happened. My mom, this happened because of, oh, I got a red light. That has something to do with me. No, don't take anything personally. Number three is never make assumptions. And number four is always do your best. If you're impeccable with your word, you don't take anything personally, you don't make any assumptions, and you always do your best, magic will happen. That book is the foundation for a lot of leadership books that are out there. Mm. Uh, and I could list a, a list of many, many books. You know, The Alchemist, of course, is one of my favorites. Mm. Um, John, uh, Malcolm Gladwell has written a bunch of books like mm. Blink and The Tipping Point. Um, and then, you know, of course, Jack Canfield wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, which was one of my favorites. But the foundational book, I think, for all of these is uh, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. If you really take that to heart, it'll give you a foundation for how to live your life and just walk a good path. Yeah, so, yeah, man, this is fun, dude. Yeah, thank you for coming on to my show, and um, I hope I hope to hear from you a little bit more. We'll stay connected. Of course, of course. <laughs> so the beautiful, I think the, the, the final thing I want to leave with, with yeah. the listeners out there for, who are listening to this podcast is, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I met Jonathan Yamasaki as a high school student through the Hispanic Youth Symposium. And he was just a little mocoso trying to, you know, fit in, trying to be, you know, he was he was very liked. He was one of the most popular kids there because he was, you know, he sang. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, but like everyone there was having a blast. But he really took it on. Jonathan grabbed the Hispanic Youth Symposium and took it on. And we stayed friends all these years. And then he brought me out to NAU. And now he's hosting a podcast about entrepreneurship. And I get to be one of his first uh, guests on his show. What is that? That is the manifestation of the law of attraction. That is, if it is to be, it is up to me, manifested. A young kid who had his heart and his mind wide open gets inspired by a motivational speaker. We stay in touch. And now you're inspiring a whole new generation through the Be A Leader Foundation and through your podcast. And and now you're going to inspire new kids who are going to be like, dude, I want to be like Jonathan, bro. And then you're going to be on their podcast in two or three years, you know? So it's just the cyclical nature of if it is to be, it is up to me. If you let your light shine, you give permission to other people to let their light shine. So beautiful, bro. Good job, man. man. Woo! Awesome. Yeah. <laughs>